Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Okay, so um, I think Harlan's going to hang up here with me, so we're going to be good. Um, Hey, everybody watching online, I'm Tamise Spencer-Helms. I'm going to talk about this passage today, Letting the Dead Bury the Dead. Um, This is my family. So we took this picture after we got a really disturbing text message, and we went to Target, and we bought all of their queer stuff. But that's Beacon and Harlem and Ellison, who are obviously here today. Beacon's not here, but it's probably better for everybody. Also, yes, I started uh, Subculture Incorporated, which Tyler talked about. But I'm going to get into this passage. Can we do that? All right. So Matthew 8, uh, 18 to 22. I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to jump in. So seeing a crowd surrounding him, Jesus gave orders to depart across to the far shore. And one scribe approached and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you may go. And Jesus says to him, the foxes have lairs, and the birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another one of the disciples said to him, Lord, allow me first to go away and bury my parents. And Jesus says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. So when Kat and I talked about kind of what we would share about these themes of embodiment and liberation, and okay, okay, see you later, uh, and queerness came up, and I had this whole sermon, because I was trying to impress, and you know, this is Tyler Sitz Church, so I had this whole, yo, I was going to come with it, right? Yes, exactly, that part. Um, and then some stuff went down in August that, that kind of like derailed me, kind of hijacked what I had planned. So I'm going to just share that with you. But the main thing was these questions I was asking. Uh, And I'll tell you why they came up in a minute. But the question for me was, where do followers of white Jesus go when they die? I don't know. Um, (laughs) Not my business. Um, You know what I'm saying? And the second was like it. Um, If a relationship is birthed and bound, in white Jesus, was it ever really real? Um, so if you know me, uh, you know that I'm, I've become something of like kind of a myth buster. <laughs> My favorite myth to bust is the myth of white Jesus. And um, I'm kind of curious about kind of what happens, and I'll tell you what happened in a minute, but I was curious about what happens to relationships or friendships that only existed because of the myth, right? Um, and so here's why I'm asking the question. So this is me in high school. Um, I am changing the names of the people in the, uh, the white ladies in the thing just because I don't want no smoke. Um, and we'll call the girl the redhead Mallory. We'll call the, uh, oh shoot, you can see the names, don't look. Um, <laughs> and we'll call the blonde Kelsey, okay? Um, we knew each other because I was the manager for the, the cheerleading squad in high school. I was so gay. So um, I just thought I would like manage the cheerleaders. You know what I'm saying? You know, you got to get it where you can. Um, so I was the manager of the cheerleading squad, and we became, <laughs> we became friends. 
And uh, if you've read the book, the redhead, Mallory, watch out, baby, um, is the one that took me to the play where I met white Jesus, right? And so we were only friends because uh, we went to this play and we were all three kind of trying to do the evangelical thing. Um, and so obviously we graduate, we go off to college. I mean, these pictures are from years and years. Um, we graduate, we went off to college, and we had this tradition that whenever the three of us were in town at the same time, we would go to this restaurant called Al's um, and connect and talk about discipleship and all that. Um, so it was about 14 years of friendship uh, until Mike Brown. And, uh, and I just kind of stopped telling them when I was in town. And they stopped telling me when they were in town. Uh, and then in, in 2016, um, Terrence Crutcher, y'all remember him? Standing in the middle of the road in Oklahoma with a broke down truck. Uh, and the police obviously do what they typically do to unarmed black men. And um, this is what Mallory had to say about that. Let me start by saying I love you dearly. You know how they do. I think my actions and words have clearly proven that over the years. But to be honest, I'm not okay with what you posted yesterday. When you make comments that you do and post these types of videos, you, Tanise, are doing absolutely nothing but fueling a fire that's already exploding. You aren't even trying to come up with a solution. How would you like me to start posting video after video of black protesters attacking white people literally because they're white, right? Mallory went on to tell me. <laughs> Mallory went on to tell me about how her father had killed a black man in his days as a cop, um, and that I should understand what he was going through because in that moment it was her dad's life or the man's. She told me stories about how her dad uh, let people he put in prison come and work on the house um, because he was generous of heart. Couple months later. I posted this video, I was coming, you're not gonna be able to hear it, but I posted this video on Instagram. I went live because I was being followed by a angry man, I was leaving the voting booth. The man had uh, Confederate flags all over the truck. He was riding my bumper and honking his wheel, I mean honking his horn, flicking me off. I was scared, so I went online. And this is what Kelsey had to say about that. Hey friend, I seriously think you're overreacting to all of this. You've been saying a lot about it lately, and I haven't said anything. The Confederate flag is about Southern pride too. Just because he has it on his car, it doesn't mean he's racist or dangerous. It's literally just a flag. So, you know, needless to say, they were blocked and blessed. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I know a lot of us probably in the room started to either have our relationships start to get tumultuous around that time, right? Um, and so I lost a lot of friendships, you know, of, of white folks that just couldn't or wouldn't listen during that time. And so I, I guess you're probably wondering like, what does it have to do with like bodies and queerness? And I'm gonna hopefully get to that for you. But it's important because um, during the week of the Dollar General shooting, um, uh, Kelsey died. Um, and so um, nobody was surprised, it, it, it had been aggressive. Um, everybody expected it, so no one was surprised except me because I didn't feel anything to the news. Like, I got the news, I, I didn't feel anything. It shook me a little bit, like, aren't you supposed to care about that? <laughs> um, 
And I knew that I had grown to be something of like a grounded person, a person who was in their body. So I knew that like me not feeling was not like a numbness that was connected to being dissociated or something like that. I just didn't feel anything and it was, c it was confusing to me. Um, and so, yeah, there we were, um, getting the news. And in the midst of that, Mallory was blowing my phone up with these pictures, right, of all of these memories. In fact, every single one of those came from a straight off the text thread, because I sure ain't have them. Um, so she was sending me these pictures and these texts, and I knew that I wasn't just numbing because of dissociation, because I was livid. The, the, when she was sending me these pictures, it felt violent. It, it made my body feel anger. Um, and I, I was trying to like kind of figure out why that was happening to me. I didn't like the way it was feeling, and it felt like an assault, actually, every message I would get. Um, and the message of Matthew 8 kind of played in my head over and over again, right? Um, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Let the dead bury the dead. And that would kind of calm me a little bit. So if you know me, and you uh, know also that not just am I a myth buster, but I am uh, such a nerd. I'm very nerdy. <laughs> so I went on one of those like exvangelical, exegetical dives into scripture or whatever um, to see if like maybe the text could say something new to me about why this passage is going through my mind and like, w like what's going on here. Um, I do believe that like spirit, she still speaks through those pages and like the Bible is actual, even if it's not factual. So I still, you know, refer to it um, every now and again. And I've learned that it has so much more to say after I stopped choking the life out of it. <laughs> uh, uh, so in the passage, what it seems like Jesus is confronting is like this, uh, he's confronting and confounding their preoccupation with the past and the future, right? Because one guy comes and he's like, Lord, where are you going? I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus goes, what you talking about? I'm right here. No, but I'm going to go where you're going. No, I'm right here. Right? And then the other guy goes, can I go first and bury, the, bury my parent? Right? So this is what we need to know. Um, Oselegium, I think. I don't know. You're the scholar. Is that right? Okay. We're just going to go with that. Um, this word is what is actually being talked about in that passage. And this word refers to secondary burial. So what would happen in, in the custom, in the first century custom was a person would die. They would put their body in the tomb along with every other family member that had died, right? So there's different levels of decomposition taking place in this tomb. And then after a year, they would go back and get the bones and do another thing with the bones, right? Do something else in the tomb. So it wasn't like somebody, it's not like getting the news and Jesus being like, no, don't catch that flight, follow me. That's not what's happening. It was a tradition that they were used to doing. Um, and so the, a the person asking to go bury their parent was talking about this tradition of secondary burying, burial. Um, and Jesus is kind of, it makes me think about when Jesus talks about, or like when the angels tell the girls that come to the thing, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Um, but when I was getting this stuff from Melody, and as I think about, oh shit, I said her real name. Uh, Mallory. Mallory. Uh, I'm getting these texts and um, I was thinking about how it's not so much that, that she was kind of looking for the living um, among the dead, she was looking for the dead among the living because the girl in the pictures is gone. She does not exist anymore at all. Um, so I, I got to this place where I started to realize like, yo, the girl in that picture um, would, did not know that before I turned 40, we wouldn't have been friends because they were racist. I didn't know why Jesus was a joke. I didn't know any of those things in those pictures. So you're trying to kind of get me to mourn a person who doesn't exist anymore, um, a, f a friendship that does not exist anymore. 
And it was a part of it was because I had come to know myself and know my body and realizing that, you know, Jesus, white Jesus cannot abide with the magic of my body, my fat, black, queer body, right? Um, because to be incarnate makes you an enemy of the empire, which is what gave them the caucasity to send me those texts, right? Um, they were writing those things with the caucasity of a thousand sons because they were trying to spur me towards holiness at the behest of, of white Jesus, like we always done every time we went to Owls, right? But the thing is that I started to learn that Jesus loves to gaslight and snuff out all of our intersections. White Jesus, um, our existence, our very existence in our queer, beautiful bodies is a disruption to the myth and to the narrative. And that's why they want our bodies out of the way. And the myth and the narrative was constantly telling me that I was wrong, that I was in the way, that I took up too much space. But the truth was that white Jesus could not handle me any more than a like cheap paper dif Dixie cup could handle like fresh new wine, right? So like what Mallory did not realize is that white Jesus was dead to me and I was no longer alive to the myth. So in this case, she definitely was looking for the dead among the living. Right? I've been resurrected. And resurrected people don't die twice. Right? And I refuse to be a ghost. So I've passed through this valley of the shadow of weeping and the shadow of death, and I know that you have too. If you're in this space, you've died in some way. You've died to, to the coming to terms with transactional relationships. That's a death for us. Realizing that our relationships were transactional, they weren't real. We've died the death of living a lie to make other people happy. We've died that death, right? The death of ignoring the cognitive dissonance, the death of disembodiment and dishonesty. We've all been raised to new life and we've got scars to prove it, right? So I myself, even though she was trying to kind of remind me of this time when I was holier and not woke, um, I've actually never felt more holy or whole um, so let the dead bury the dead. So I guess the encouragement, like I kind of want to give this morning, um, is that I think that maybe queerness and holiness are synonymous. I didn't need Melody to remind me about anything, about my past holiness, because I'm living in it now. Because they demand honesty and truth. They demand authenticity. And when I live into them, I'm holy like God is holy. Honest, truthful authentic. That's what it means to be holy like God is holy. God is honest, truthful, authentic. Um, and so I feel like I didn't need her help uh, to become more holy. I'm already there. But when we live into this truth of who we are, when the spirit reconciles us to ourselves, the embodiment it produces is a threat to that myth. And so when I started to think about that question, where do followers of white Jesus go when they die? I started to realize, you know, the myth is why evangelicalism always obsessed about where people went when they died. So when you found out that somebody died, you're always wondering, well, did they know Jesus? Did they say the prayer? Where are they? And I think that the obsession is coming from the fact that all of that theology is grounded in fear and anxiety and abstraction and it's such a defining characteristic that when people die, they try to resurrect ghosts. It's a pre preoccupation with the past 
or the future that keeps you from being present. And I think that that's maybe why the divine introduced themselves as I am, right? Present. It's okay to hope for the future. It's okay to remember the past. But I think what I'm learning about discipleship or whatever you want to call it is the fight to be here and now. Like, right? And that that would be God's name. I'm here and I'm right now. So Jesus goes, foxes have holes and birds have nests. And uh, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And I wonder if he's maybe picking at that desire we have to be obsessed about the future so we can think about that and not be here right now. Where are you going, Lord? I'm right here. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm right here. Right? I think there's something beautiful about becoming home in our skin enough that no matter where we are, we're right there with God. Right? Um, So the last thing I'll say is, right, like I think that there's a sort of freedom in this idea of letting the dead bury the dead. I think it's similar to the freedom of embracing being queer. Um, Because our existence is a constant confounding confrontation that comes at a cost, we all know that cost, whether you're an ally or a queer person that's living into the truth of who you are, you know that cost. But there's so much liberation in life and letting go of fruitless preoccupation. So I think that like, the ways that I'm going to kind of close up the thing, I, I actually don't know the answer to the questions. I'm sorry. I didn't get to the answers of, like, where do they go when they die? I don't know. But I believe right now that my old friend, um, who passed away in August, I believe that she exists in a realm where beauty and substance begins at the end of our capacity to imagine, right? Not because she said the sinner's prayer or traveled a Roman's road. I think she's there. Because where else would anyone who, who, where else would anyone be that did the best they could with what they had? But in the light. And I'm convinced that her sincerity and her desire to know God has given her the greatest gift of all, which is freedom from white Jesus. What if a friendship is bound in birth in white Jesus? Was it ever really real? I don't know the answer to that either. Uh, But I do know it this, it was real enough to leave a mark And uh, my scars are unique to me, and your scars are unique to you, but they make us who we are. And for that, I'm grateful, and I'm not ashamed of my scars. Thank y'all. That's it.